Yeah, welcome. How good was it to share communion this morning? And yeah, for me, sitting in that moment, it was just a reminder that this community is about transformation, and that's for me as well. So I wanted to start by just assuring you I'm up here, not because I'm a guru or an expert, but I'm just on this journey with you, and we're just trying to go deeper into what God wants for us and, and for the people around us in this community. So I hope that comes across this morning. So we're in this, this series, The Kingdom and the Cross, um, that Mike kicked off last week. And this series is going with us up into Easter. This is carrying us through as we look towards Easter and that significant event in our church calendar. And last week, Mike shared, I know he did Mike at the night service, I think he did in the morning as well, about this, um, this saying that Jesus said in Matthew 13, verse 9. He said, He who has ears, let him hear. Yeah, I love that. That's so good, isn't it? You can read other translations, but that was by far my favourite. It's almost kind of a joke, isn't it? I hope that's what it sounded like in Hebrew. Like Jesus is kind of like, you've got ears, now hear. Use them. And I use this image here because like somehow so much information comes here, but what happens up in here, it just gets lost, doesn't it? And Mike last week was talking about how he doesn't really listen to his wife often. Can you believe that guy? I was just like, what? What is this place coming to? No, we're all guilty of that, aren't we? And I appreciate your honesty because I do it all the time. My kids, my wife, like things I'm interested in. And all the time, this internal dialogue tends to get in the way. So often it's my ego thinking about how people are perceiving me, how my hair's looking. Is it looking okay this morning? Yeah, good, good. That's one thing I can tick off. So now I can be present. Ruth, why are you laughing? Shaking her head. Now I'm processing that in my mind. You see, like already I'm, in, I'm talking and I'm escaping myself. It's a human problem. And I love not only that Jesus recognises that, he knows, like he was fully human. And I think that's another part of why he does communion, like this physical bread and wine. He invites us in to remember. He kind of knows our human condition. And he's saying, hey, this is important. If you've got ears, which you do, then listen. And that's what I'm inviting you to this morning. And this was kind of as Jesus was starting to talk on the parables. Okay, that's where we're launching in today. We're talking about some of the parables and the importance of listening. Jesus kind of framed it in that. And he kind of explained that if you're not really listening, you're not going to get it. It's going to, you're going to totally miss out. And I don't want us to miss out on what, what he's offering this morning. So that bit in the middle, that's for you to work out this morning. And if it doesn't land there, it's not my fault, right? All right, good. Glad we established that. That was like my waiver. Um, anyway, maybe Mike and I need to just get therapy. I don't know. Maybe it's just us. But um, yes, as we step into the, um, the parables. Now, Jesus, um, the word parable is actually a compound word in Greek. And this is how Tim Mackey explained it. I love the Bible project. I'm a big fan of Tim Mackey. And he said, it, actually, the Greek meaning is to set alongside. That's what a parable is, to set alongside. So I'm preparing for today. I'm thinking, what is Jesus setting this alongside? What's his main message? So I started thinking about that. What's Jesus's main point? If I'm going to sum it up in one point, one thing, what's Jesus's main point? I started thinking about it, and I was tempted to run into the audience now and, you know, get, do the Q&A, and I was like, well, one, they might get it right, and that'll ruin my point, 
or two, I might just embarrass them. So I'm going to go against that. And as I reflected, I feel like I made the mistake. And this is what jumped out for me. I don't know if you're thinking, and I challenge you now to think, what would you, how would you summarize Jesus's main message? For me, my mind went straight to some of those, you know, those key verses, my Sunday school verse, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. I think it's there. A well-known one. Is that the summary of it? Um, or maybe it's uh, God is love. You know, summing up that God is just love. Or that um, the greatest commandment, you know, to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. That's this summary. All these great verses that stand out. But actually, as I did some research and reflection this week, more and more the Bible scholars and theologians I was reading about actually said, it's actually Jesus' main message was about this kingdom of heaven, which probably encapsulates a lot of that. But that was all he, that was the hugest focus. He kept talking about the kingdom of heaven is here, it's near. That was his primary focus. So, knowing that, as we start looking into the parables, that's what we've got to keep in our mind. This is what the parables are set alongside. The fact that the parables are talking about Jesus' main message, that the kingdom of heaven is near. Now, sometimes we can think about the parables and those various reasons why they, over time, got twisted to be moral lessons and that sort of thing, but that's not really the focus. It is primarily to sit alongside this, this message that the kingdom of heaven is here. Now, I have a quote um, from Robert Farrar Capon. I just need to say that because like, acknowledge my source. So I'm going to read that to you. Part of it's up here on the, stay, on, the, on the screen. But I found this amazing. And this was kind of tells us what the parables, why. Or why did Jesus speak in these parables that only people who really listen were going to understand? Why did he do that? For Jesus, the parables were not used to explain things to people's satisfaction, but actually to call into question all of their previous explanations and understandings. Rather than illustrate and illuminate what people haven't figured out yet, the parables are designed to pop every circuit breaker in the mind. Mention Messiah, and the disciples pictured an armed king on horseback. Mention forgiveness, and they start setting up rules about when it should run out. From Jesus' point of view, the sooner their misguided minds had the props knocked out from under them, the better. After all the yammer about how God should or shouldn't run his own operation, getting them to just stand there with their eyes popped open and their mouths shut would be a giant step forward. How cool is that? It's a summary of the parables that Jesus isn't actually, he's trying to call into question our notions, what we already think. So that's the invitation this morning is to actually... What preconceptions do we have? What have we got to stop and actually listen? Remember Jesus' invitation at the start, really listen. Our ego often looks in there for confirmation bias. I know I've talked about this a lot. We look for information to, to confirm what we already think. But Jesus is saying, really listen, because it might be a lot different to what you're thinking. So from there, let's jump into the first parable in the book of Matthew, Matthew 13. A harvest story, it's called. So as I listen, keep those things in the back of your mind. You're really listening. And how does this set alongside this message that the kingdom of heaven is here or near? So at about the same time, Jesus left the house 
and sat on the beach. In no time at all, a crowd gathered along the shoreline, forcing him to get into a boat. Using the boat as a pulpit, he addressed his congregation using stories or these parables. He says, what do you make of this? A farmer planted seed. As he scattered the seed, some of it fell on the road and the birds ate it. Some fell in the gravel. It sprouted quickly, but didn't put down roots. So when the sun came up, it withered just as quickly. Some fell in the weeds. As it came up, it, strang it was strangled by the weeds. And some fell on good earth and produced a harvest beyond his wildest dreams. Are you listening to this? Really listening? Saying, are you getting what I'm really trying to say here? So at the time, I think the big surprise, like Robert Farrakhan Capon kind of pointed out, is the surprise here for this audience was about how this kingdom was going to show up. And he kind of alluded to their, some of the ideas about what they had in their mind already. It wasn't a story about a mighty warrior king who was going to come and force his kingdom upon his subjects. It was actually a story about a humble farmer whose kingdom is actually going to be received in a very different ways. And only few are actually going to respond and accept it. That's a, quite a re remarkable prediction for a kingdom that's coming to reign. He's saying not everyone's going to accept this. Not, not everyone's going to get it. And that might not be the surprising part of the story for us because we're pretty familiar with this and we might not have had those preconceptions that the people at the time had. So let's dive a little bit deeper and see if we can pick out some, some thoughts for ourselves. As a young man, I used to go to youth camps um, down in the hinterland of the New South Wales, um, in the hinterland. At one of those events, um, some of the leaders, some of the youth leaders staged this fight. And I can still remember it. We're kind of halfway up this mountain. It was very hilly terrain, quite overgrown. And um, yeah, they, they put in this fight. One leader was like, hey, I'm over this. I'm going back down to camp. We're going to feast on junk food and coke. And we're just going to hang out and just, you know, indulge our fleshly nature. He didn't say that. Would have given the show away. The other leader was like, we're going up the hill. We're going to the top. We've got the guitar. We're going to sing praise to God. Now, as a teenager, that didn't really appeal to me. I was like, I've got a sweet tooth, a sugary addiction. I'm not a very good singer, still aren't. So apologies for anyone standing near me this morning. I really enjoyed the new song too. Thanks, Hannah. But sorry again if you heard me. Um, so anyway, you can probably see what they were setting up here. And later when the leaders unpacked this metaphor with us, I'd gone down the hill, I'd made this, this choice. And while I was still probably a little bit annoyed that I didn't get my lollies and I'd actually ended up, they took us into, it was kind of like a, a trick. They took us into the bush and lantana and we got scratches and things. They didn't come, come good. But it actually, the metaphor kind of rung true with me, even though, you know, despite the disappointment and annoyance. Um, I realized where my attention and, and my focus was. What I really, the desires of my heart were kind of pretty obvious. My heart for God and his ways came very much second to to myself and what I wanted. And I was pretty convicted by that. And over the camp, I went and spent some time with a leader and, and I had that experience where I, I committed my, my life to God. I made that initial step to follow him. 
And I think at the time, as I reflect back on, the, on, the, on my experience, um, and I was trying to line it up with this parable, I probably didn't quite get it. I was kind of thinking this was a one-off event where I'd accepted God's word, I'd got my golden ticket, and I was nervous about where I was going from what had happened. You know, I didn't want to end back up in the thorns and the thistles. And for me, I had this very narrow view of, of what salvation was and, and what God's kingdom was. I thought it was this thing that I was locked in. I had this hope and a future. And over time, I've started to, to question that. And as I prepared for today, I feel like this parable invites me to frame it a bit differently. And that's been the, the theme of this, the kingdom and the cross. God's kingdom goes beyond just this end destination. It's actually an invitation for us here and now. And when that, I think I didn't really think about that, that seed, God's kingdom seed in my life, and then that call to produce fruit. So that's for here and now. I think that experience was essential and it was really important. It was like this doorway into this kingdom, this new way of seeing. Any Matrix fans here? Yes, a few Matrix fans. This is what came up for me in that moment. You know when Neo has this choice. If you don't know Matrix, I'm really sorry. He has this choice about to take the red or the blue pill. It's quite a significant moment in the movie. And depending on his choice, depends what his reality is like. And as soon as he decides to take that red pill, his eyes are opened to the reality around him. And I think that for me is my salvation experience now. It's a stepping into an awakening to God's kingdom, to my need for him, for our need as a world for his kingdom to come. So rather than waiting for God's rule um, to begin, whatever strange image we have of heaven with golden streets and things like that, I used to kind of think about that. That'll be cool, playing handball on golden streets. It's a shift to recognize that God's kingdom is actually here now. And I've got an image, I think, of kind of that illustrates my old way of thinking with actually what God's inviting us into. Mike earlier shared that prayer, the Lord's Prayer, and this is how he teaches us to think, how he teaches us to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There's the invite of this kingdom right there. Jesus is saying, pray this when you pray. That's the first thing, that God's kingdom come on this earth. Now, currently, hopefully I'm looking fresh. You've given me a thumbs up for my hair, but I'm approaching a significant number. I'm approaching middle age. I'm not there yet, if you think I am. And I don't want to mention the number, but I'm um, Appropriately, with that number coming, I actually spend a lot of time in the garden. And the, the issue with that is, is that I actually really love it. I love being in the garden. I wouldn't say I'm an overly skilled gardener. I confess that I've been naively responsible for the genocide of many Bunnings plants. I think as I go in there, I just imagine them quivering. Just like, don't choose me. He was here last weekend. <laughs> Where have they gone? <laughs> However, over time, I've recovered. The plants didn't, but I did. And 
I've learned to pay more attention, you know, to where I plant, when I plant, preparing the soil. This is my good stuff. And yeah, this is what I wanted to show you. This is my success as a gardener. I think I've got a beautiful garden. I love it. And I love tending to it. I've learned, you know, to when to water, when to prune, when to fertilize, mostly. And, you know, as the seasons change, it's not a one-off thing. I didn't just nail it the first time, but gardeners would know that this is a journey. It's something you need to tend to and maintain as the seasons change, the weather changes, there's different needs and there's different things required of you. I've got my neighbors here, they can attest to my nice garden, right? Yeah, have you seen me out there? Nelson hates gardening, I know that. He doesn't like my hedges, he hates trimming, but he loves that I do it, right? I'm trying to keep him well done. Um, and anyway, there's areas of my garden that actually, I don't really want visitors to see so much, but you know, there's areas that kind of get too much sun, they get too much foot traffic, you know, there's rocks there, the soil's not great and things don't grow very well. But just like my garden, Jesus' metaphor is, is for my life, for my heart, and my heart contains all these different soils as well. That one moment of experience doesn't mean that's it forever. I've actually got all these soils in my life. These, just like my garden has different areas that need different things. Some areas are flourishing, some aren't. My life is like that. There's some areas of flourishing, and I love showing you those. They're the things we project, right? It's like our Instagram page. We want everyone to know the areas that are flourishing. But these other areas exist. They're all in us. We're all human. There's brokenness, there's hurt, there's areas that have, you know, I was thinking about that, the hard trodden areas. They're the things that are so well trodden that they're these habits that we don't break. These areas of our life where we don't put God's kingdom first, where we don't respond to that message, that invitation. This week, a legend in our community, Keith, I don't know if he's here, I haven't seen him this morning. Actually took me for a ride in his Porsche. And it was amazing. I loved it. However, when I got back, I was just like, thanks, Keith. You've just ruined my life. Every car I've owned and will ever own will just be disappointing. And it's that, again, it's this thing that I've got to constantly be reminded where my focus is. Is it God's kingdom or my kingdom? My personal desires, my ego, you know, I struggle with anger and impatient with my kids in the afternoon when they haven't done their homework to my satisfaction. When, you know, people in the surf, I shared at night church the other day, I had this experience in Noosa where this guy just intentionally dropped in on me and ran me over and I was burning with anger and I struggled to forgive and I was so aware of it. The whole surf, it ruined my surf. It stole the joy of surfing from me because I was hurled onto that anger. But I think that's Jesus' invitation is he knows what's best for us. He knows that that isn't healthy, that's not good. And Jesus warns us against that way of living. In Matthew 23, Jesus weeps over Jerusalem because they've rejected his way. Because Jesus knows the consequences of when we choose earth's kingdoms. When we 
cling on to like they did, like the people did. They rejected his kingdom and they wanted this kingdom of power, of violence, of oppression, of revenge. And God knows that that is going to create hell for us. Just like me holding on to that anger in the surf ruined the surf for me. That was, I was like in my own personal hell. I was in the surf, which I love more than anything, but it wasn't heaven. That was a horrible experience because I was clinging on to earth's kingdoms. The good news is, remember the good news, the gospel, the gospel of the kingdom, it means it's good news. So we're not condemned to this. We can actually change. We can cultivate our soil. This parable isn't for us to go around. We love labeling people, but it's not for us to go around and be like, hey, Mike, rocky soil over to the left. Watch out for the hard Tron ground front seat over here. <laughs> no, it's not about labeling. It's actually an invitation to change, to recognize, to reflect. And just like I learnt, or I'm still learning, to tend my garden, we can do that in our lives. Later in chapter 13, when Jesus unpacks the parable with his disciples, because they didn't really get it straight away, he says, when someone hears the message about the kingdom and doesn't understand it, that's how he frames it. And I was looking at this word, understand. And I want to see, there's a modern un interpretation of understand is in our brain. But actually, in the Bible, there's no mention of the word brain. It keeps talking about our heart. And it talks about this whole body response. So if we understand what God's kingdom is about, it's not up here for us to, like, you know, it's not an academic understanding. It's a hard understanding. It's a whole body response. In 2 Chronicles 7 verse 14, I love the words of the prophet here. And this is the call of this parable. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear them and will forgive their sin and heal their land. It's a call to repent, to turn around. That word repentance is a change of mind, to turn around, to tend our soil. Jesus invites us into this better way of living. In John 10 verse 9, I came so you can have real and eternal life, more and better life than you ever dreamed of. And in Matthew 11, Jesus said, Come to me, all you are weary, and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. If we truly believe that God is our creator, that made us in his image, then lives that line up with Jesus and his kingdom are going to be the best for us and for our community. The parable of the good soil talks about producing fruit. Understanding, remember, that leads to a life response. In Galatians 5, it talks about the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. These are the hallmarks of God's kingdom. And we're invited as his creators to be ambassadors, to be participants in his rule, to bring heaven here on earth, is to 
overflow with these fruits. The gospel, this good news, is that the kingdom remains no matter what. And we have this loving God who actually compares himself to be a generous farmer. Generous because he just scatters seed on, on the soil. Doesn't even consider what the soil is. Generously scattering, scattering seed into our lives with this invitation to respond. A farmer like God who continues to pursue us, continues to welcome us and invite us, constantly inviting us to to let that seed take root in our hearts and to overflow with fruit and to love and bring his kingdom here on earth.